Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the pride in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Mary abode with her about three months, and returned to her own house. So what we have just read, I think you, and I hope you agree with me, is one of the most beautiful songs of praise to Almighty God. It's very unique. It's the praise of Mary, the Virgin Mother of Jesus. But it is also for us. Archbishop Cranmer recognised that when he included it in the original old Book of Common Prayer. They call it the Magnificat. My soul doth magnify the Lord. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour, for he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. It's set in the days of Mary's pregnancy. The angel had revealed to her that she would have a son. And before they travelled to Bethlehem, where the infant baby, the Lord Jesus Christ, was to be delivered, this little family incident occurs. When we started in verse 39 in Luke chapter 1, we read that Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. I wonder what you were doing yesterday. I wonder did you have visitors. It's great to see visitors coming, isn't it? And this is a very special visit. Mary has come to visit her relatives. And it's a visit like no other. She's now pregnant with the Lord Jesus. That child whom God has placed in her womb. Uh, If you turn back a few pages in your Bible just to the same chapter and verse 34. 
where Mary talks and has a conversation with an angel and she says to the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. I'm not going to go into the mechanics of that just now, but Mary is now pregnant, and she traveled up to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and she does it in the hills of Judea. We're specifically told in verse 39 that she went there with haste. There's no mention of Joseph going with her. So she travels up there, perhaps in Nazareth, her pregnancy has raised a few eyebrows, set tongues wagging, set the gossips astir, and now she wants to get a little bit of privacy, perhaps, and she goes away up into the hills, out into the country, to stay with her relatives. One of the good things about visitors coming to visit you on a day like yesterday is that they go home, eventually. And you sit down and you breathe a sigh of relief that everything has gone all right. And you relax. Mary, we're told here, verse 56, stayed there for three months. I'm not sure I'd like relatives visiting her for three months. Unless, of course, they had to. Mary had to. Strange thing was, Elizabeth, when she got there, also was pregnant. And also in a most unusual manner, she was much older than Mary. I think the modern term for Elizabeth nowadays would be that she was postmenopausal when she conceived. Her husband, Zacharias, had also been visited by an angel who had told him that his hitherto barren and rather older wife would bear a son. And that boy would be filled with the Holy Ghost and would live the life of a Nazarite and would be called John. And Zacharias's joy would be complete. And as a sign, when Zacharias left the temple at, his end, at the end of his act of worship, he found, as the angel had said, that he couldn't speak. He could only tell what had happened by gestures. And he returned home. And in verse 24, we're told that Elizabeth conceived. Verse 24 says, After those days his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked of me to take away my reproach among men. So after her term of pregnancy after that hiding away period was over. She heard a knock at her door. She went to the door of her home and found that her young relative, Mary, was standing there and she too was pregnant. Even though at that time she was still only betrothed and not yet married. And the Bible records for us that when Elizabeth saw Mary, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb, 
and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Something else happened. Inside her womb, the baby leapt with joy. This was John, the future John the Baptist. It says in verse 44, For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Isn't that a wonderful verse? The babe in her womb wasn't a cluster of cells or a nameless, pointless fetus or an inconvenience. But when the saviour of this world was at the point of entry into this world, a baby in a womb knew that the saviour was coming and leapt with joy in his mother's womb. I think that should speak volumes to us, shouldn't it? In these days, when the tendency is to regard unborn babies as less than human. She greeted her cousin with a wonderful blessing. She says in verse 40, Elizabeth says in verse 45, And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were done her from the Lord. She blesses her as she welcomes her into her home. And Mary responds with this wonderful cry of praise unto God. Let's look at it just for a moment or two. Mary's response to Elizabeth's blessing is to offer praise. She says in verse 47, verse 46, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. One of the first things that we notice about Mary's song here is that she is very well acquainted with the scriptures. I think there's a tendency among some people to think of Mary as an illiterate young girl from a backward country. Certainly if you read some of the more liberal commentaries, that's the kind of thing that you will hear and that you will read. You will hear and read people saying things like, well, you know, she was superstitious. They all were. And she was just young and she was impressionable. And that's probably why she thought there was an angel speaking to her. Now, I I want you to see tonight that you must not do that. This hymn of praise that she, that she sings to God shows that she was well learned in the Old Testament scriptures. There are constant and frequent references to the Psalms all the way through it. If you want to say it, this hymn of Mary's is in fact a paraphrase of several Psalms. Psalm 35 and verse 9. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. Mary says, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God. Psalm 138, verse 6. 
The psalmist says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Mary sums that up in verse 49. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. The Lord is greater than we are. Psalm 71 and verse 19 says, Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You have done great things, O God, who is like you. The Lord has done great things, says Mary. Psalm 103 and verse 17 tells us that the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those that fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Psalmist, or Mary rather, in verse 50, summarizes that when she says his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. There's many other Old Testament references right throughout that that portion of Scripture. And of course there are reminiscences there of Hannah's song as well, isn't there? In 1 Samuel 2 and verse 1 to 10, where Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Mary here talks about the greatness of God. So, so here Mary looks back the Old Testament over and over and over again. She is continually using the scriptures. She is reciting the Psalms in her praise. And this great hymn of praise, it is full of psalm that he references. Now that's important for us. How good is it to include the scripture in our praises? It's what we aim for. I was explaining to a friend from Lisburn one day about why we prefer to sing psalms rather than hymns. And I tried to explain this to her, that Mary, when she was singing her hymn of praise, the hymn that she sang was full of psalmody references. And the prayers that we pray are full of references to the Old Testament so that all of our Christian worship, whether it's singing or praying or reading God's word or preaching God's word, is full of biblical reference, based entirely upon the scriptures. She was looking at me at this point with glazed eyes. And she said to me, It all sounds a wee bit too perfect for me. She didn't belong to our church. She belonged somewhere else. Mary is a good example for us to include the scriptures, the inspired word of God in our praise. To sing the Psalms for inspired scripture is the ultimate act of praise. 
Sometimes we can read the words of men and they can be poetic. They may even be theologically helpful at times. They may even be inspiring as poetry often is, but only God's word is inspired. The Psalms are the hymn book of God's people and have been for thousands of years. Of course, they will say to you, but doesn't it say in the scriptures that we are to sing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Of course it does. A very simple answer. All of those are psalm titles. Psalmnos kai humnos kai ode pneumate. They're psalm titles. It's good to sing the psalms. Why would we want to sing the words of sinful men and women like us when we can sing God's words in God's way? To read and sing the Psalms is important. To pray the word is a great blessing. So often we pray uh, prayers that are self-centered and selfish. But listen to the biblical promises of God being prayed. Read and pray to God what you have read. Read the Bible and pray the scriptures back to the Lord. To do these things is to be like Mary. To read the word, to learn the word, to quote the word, to hide the word in our hearts. As Paul says in Colossians 3 and 16, when he tells us to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Mary was a woman who knew the word, who was steeped in God's word. Don't be thinking of her as some illiterate backward lass from a far-off country. She was a woman who knew her Bible. The second thing is that Mary is characterized here by her humility. The woman who is chosen by God to be the vessel through which his son would come into this world to accomplish God's eternal plan is the same woman who speaks to her, speaks to us here of the lowliness of her own condition. I think sometimes when we think of Mary, we're too, we're too influenced by Catholicism, aren't we? One way or another. Either we hear what the Catholic Church teaches about Mary and we hold superstition. Or as Protestants, we hear what the Catholic Church teaches about Mary and we shun Mary altogether because we don't want to be involved in the superstitions of Romanism. We know that the Roman Catholic Church, for example, will teach us that Mary's um, miraculous birth, the miraculous birth of Jesus, that after she gave birth to the child, the baby Jesus, that day in the manger in Bethlehem, that afterwards she remained a virgin. 
And they talk about the perpetual virginity of Mary, even though we know in the scriptures that Mary and Joseph went on to have children by natural conception. And that we know that one of them, James, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. But according to the Roman Catholic Church, somehow or another, Mary managed to deliver all those babies and still remain a virgin. It's nearly as ridiculous as the Mass. And then, of course, you have the bodily assumption of Mary into heaven. And you have this ridiculous notion that at the end of her life, Mary was simply assumed straight into the presence of God, that she didn't undergo death or her body didn't suffer decay in the tomb. And you have this idea of Mary being the immaculate virgin, that she never sinned, in other words. Mary would be repulsed by those false views of her person. Listen to what she says. Whenever she talks here in verse 47, she says, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. Now what does that tell you? It tells you that Mary, like all of humanity, is a sinner, was a sinner, who needed a saviour. There's no indication here whatsoever that Mary stands before her cousin Elizabeth and accepts worship from her. She greets her and they greet each other and they bless each other. Mary never thinks of herself as being immaculate. She says, I am a sinner. And she says, that does the Lord himself who has regarded, verse 48, the low estate of his handmaiden. Ah, but the Catholics will say, look, if you go on further down that verse, it says, all generations shall call me blessed. The blessed Virgin Mary, isn't that who she is? But they call her blessed here because she's a sinner who has been saved. Because she has a God who is her saviour. Because the Lord has regarded her in her lowliness. You know, every single one of us who know the saviour, who have come as sinners to Christ, who have come on bended knee and cried out for forgiveness from the God whom we have offended with our sins. Every one of us are blessed of the Lord. We're told in Peter, 1 Peter 3 and verse 8, that every one of us is to have unity of mind and sympathy and brotherly love and a tender heart and a humble mind. In my first church down County, down in the heart of the countryside, there was a man called Jimmy. Jimmy was an elder, and he was a man well up in his 80s, and he'd served in the army during the war. And now he was living in retirement, and he ran a wee market garden 
the great wee man. And it's a Monday morning when we get up and went down in the morning, got the kids out to school. There was a wee cardboard box sitting outside the door. And there'd be a couple of carrots, an onion, and a half a dozen eggs. And my new friend rightly who put them there was Jimmy. And that didn't happen every week, but maybe once or twice a month they'd be there. Never said a word about it. If you tried to thank him, he brushed you off. One day we were doing a wee job about the church, painting a wall. Jimmy was getting it tight. He had to sit down. He had breathing difficulties with his war service. And he was sitting down behind me and gasping for breath. And he says to me, Mr. McAvoy, if you ever have the privilege of burying me. And he says, for you, believe you me, that'll be a privilege. I want to make something very clear. I don't want my name mentioned in that funeral service. Beyond the fact that you get up at the start of the funeral service and tell them it's my funeral service, you spend the rest of the time that you have preaching the gospel and talking about Jesus and don't mention my name once. Well, I never had the privilege of burying him because I moved on. I had the privilege of burying his dear wife, and when his funeral service came, I was invited to go and take part. And I didn't get to preach. I, I, I did something else. Prayed or something, can't remember. But the pastor who took the funeral service, he must have had a word with him as well. For Jimmy's name wasn't mentioned. Jesus was on everybody's lips. See, Mary's characterized not by the fact that she wants you to worship her or to call her blessed or to have fancy notions about her or to stick up a statue out in your garden or your church or wherever. She wants you to remember her Savior. Characterized by her humility. Mary has a thankful spirit. The whole song is permeated with thankfulness. She rejoices in the Lord. She praises God that future generations will call her blessed because the Lord has done great things for her. Oh, that the Lord would make us thankful, for he has done great things for us. And lastly, Mary is aware of God's covenant purpose with his people. You see, God has a redemptive covenant with his people. In our church, we call that the covenant of grace. He has covenant. He includes them in his redemptive purpose. And he uses them in his redemptive purpose he planned their redemption in eternity past and he works that plan out in his Old Testament people 
and in Elizabeth and in Mary and, of course, ultimately in Christ. And Mary knows this. Look what she says. Verse 54. He hath holpen his servant Israel. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. That's his grace. Grace in the Old Testament. Verse 55. As he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. God planned their redemption. And he works that redemption out. And Mary that day knew that. And it's reflected in her praise. She tells us that God scatters the proud as he did with his enemies, the Philistines and the Canaanites, right throughout the Old Testament. She tells us that God puts down the mighty from their thrones as he did with Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. She tells us that God sends the rich away. And we remember that God's prophets like Micah and Amos were preachers of justice and mercy, speaking out against the oppression of the poor and the disadvantaged. Micah said, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And right throughout history, as Mary affirms, God has helped his people. We can look back over this year, a year that has gone into eternity. And we'll be able to say, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. He helped and spoke to Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David And even in the midst of great adversity, he preserved his chosen people, even when they were only a remnant. And those days may come again when we will be a remnant in this land. And despite the unfaithfulness of his people, his visible church, the Lord preserved that witness. Now, in Mary's day, he has continued his saving purpose by taking a young girl from Nazareth and using her as part of his redemptive plan. She has a sense of destiny. The Lord has included her in his covenant of grace. May God, in the year that lies ahead, give us that similar sense of destiny. Because we will need to see that. As times darken, as the enemy closes in, as more and more things are withdrawn from us, as we are tighter squeezed and restricted, May the Lord give us a sense of destiny. That we are here for a purpose. And we are part of his sovereign plan.
he's working it out. So, Mary, the handmaiden of the Lord, the chosen vessel to bring the Lord Jesus Christ as a baby into this world, a wonderful example to those who would seek like her to be the faithful servants of the Lord. Let us not neglect her. Let her prayer of submission in Luke chapter 1 and verse 31 be our prayer of submission also. For she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to thy word.